Good morning. It is good to see everyone here today. If you are visiting, we want you to know we are especially glad to have you in our midst, and we hope you'll be back tonight at 6 o'clock as we continue our worship together. I am glad to be home. This last week, Sherry and I were in Dennis, Mississippi, doing a gospel meeting at the Liberty Church of Christ. And it's interesting because the preacher there, David Conley, has started a gospel meeting today in Sparta, and that's running through Wednesday night. He is a good guy, and if you get a chance to go over and support that meeting, uh, I know that you will be blessed for that. I am actually beginning a series this morning that I am calling I Know. And for several weeks, I don't know if I'll do it in a row or I will space it out, but we're going to deal with things that we as Christians can be confident about. This morning's sermon is, I know that God exists. And as the song said, our next lesson is going to be, I know that my Redeemer lives. And the third one is going to be, I know that I'm going to go to heaven. And so hopefully these will be things that will be positive, that will be encouraging, and that will help us. Today we're going to talk about the uh, theme, I know that God exists. I want to begin with an article that came out in the news a few years ago. This was in the National Geographic. It was entitled, The World's Newest Major Religion is No Religion. The religiously unaffiliated called nuns, not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E, are growing significantly. They are the second largest religious group in North America and most of Europe. In the United States, nuns make up almost a quarter of the population. In the past decade, U.S. nuns have overtaken Catholics, mainline Protestants, and all followers of non-Christian faiths. A lack of religious affiliation has profound effects on how people think about death, how they teach their children, and even how they vote. There have long been predictions that religion would fade from relevancy as the world modernizes, but all the recent surveys are finding that it's happening startlingly fast. France will have a majority secular population soon, so will the Netherlands and New Zealand. The United Kingdom and Australia will soon lose Christian majorities. Religion is rapidly becoming less important than it's ever been, even to people who live in countries where faith has affected everything from rulers to borders to architecture. This morning we're going to talk about atheism. You know, it is the view of many people that evolutionary scientists have disproved God and that they have tossed out religion. We are told that Darwin put the last nails in God's coffin. Because before Darwin came on the scene and his ideas caught on, those who believed in God always had an ace in the hole, so to speak, because they could always say to the non-believer, but look at the beautifully planned, well-designed world. If God did not create it, then how did it get here? You know, at Psalm 19 and verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. And generally, the non-believer was left without an answer. But now, with evolution, 
You've got this magical word that can explain anything and everything. Evolution could be used to describe processes that man understood, and yet it was flexible enough to cover man's ignorance in things that he did not fully understand. And now evolution has become the hallmark of the intellectually elite. Evolution, on the other hand, or religion, on the other hand, was a superstition for those who were in the dark. Evolution was for the intelligent and the rational. When we lived in South Carolina a few years ago, Newsweek magazine published an article about a group who called themselves the Rational Response Squad. Their website was rationalresponders.com. They describe themselves this way. They say, we are your friendly neighborhood atheist activist. And they made the news a few years ago because they were doing something at the time called the Blasphemy Challenge. This is straight from their website. It said, the Rational Response Squad is giving away 1,001 DVDs of The God Who Wasn't There, a hit documentary that the Los Angeles Times calls provocative, to put it mildly. There's only one catch. Listen to this. They said, we want your soul. It is simple. You record a short message damning yourself to hell, you upload it to YouTube, and then the Rational Response Squad will send you a free DVD of the God who wasn't there. Now, here's their instructions. They say, you may damn yourself to hell however you would like, but somewhere in the video you must use the phrase, I deny the Holy Spirit. Why? Because according to Mark 3.29 in the Holy Bible, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus will forgive you for just about anything, but he won't forgive you for denying the existence of the Holy Spirit ever. This is a one-way road that you are taking. Then it says this, once you have shot your blasphemous video, just follow these two easy steps. It gives you instructions on how to upload your video to the website. Now, this Newsweek article said that there were hundreds, mostly young people, who joined this campaign to, quote, stake their soul against the existence of God. The Newsweek article closed by the words of Jerry Adler, the author of the article. It said, he said... God could not be reached for comment. The story was covered on NBC News. It was covered by the New York Times. Their website got a great deal of attention, and the country watched as people thumbed their noses at God and openly mocked the Holy Spirit. The name of this group got my attention. Did it get yours? The Rational Response Squad? I went and looked up the word rational on dictionary.com, and it said this, rational means reasonable and sensible. Now, that being the case, I want us to consider this morning this idea that there is no God, that there is no intelligent designer who designed this universe, and that we are just all the products of chance. I want us to examine this this morning and see if it is reasonable and it is sensible to suggest that. The sermon this morning is, I know that God exists. Now, we're going to look at several laws this morning that prove this, that God exists. 
Here is the first one. The first point this morning is the law of probability. The law of probability is a law that is used extensively in statistics, in in mathematics, in philosophy, and daily in almost every branch of science. A man named Emile Borel, who was one of the world's foremost, foremost experts in mathematics, he came up with this law of probability. And what it says is basically this. When the chances of any particular event occurring are more than one to one followed by 50 zeros, that is 10 to the 50th power, he said it is impossible. He said we can state with certainty it will never happen. No matter how much time is allotted, no matter how many conceivable opportunities could exist for it to take place. And so he said if it is one to one, we're not talking one in ten chance. We're not talking one in a million chance. You know, if something is almost impossible, we say that's one in a million. We're not talking about one in a million. He said if it is one to one followed by 50 zeros, then it will never, ever, ever happen. That is the law of probability. Now, I want you to keep that in mind, and I want you to observe this. Dr. Harold Morowitz estimated that the probability for the chance of the formation of the smallest, simplest living form of life. Now get this in your mind. We're not talking about the formation of a human being. We're talking about the formation of the smallest, simplest living form of life. The chances of that occurring are one to one followed by 350 million zeros. Now, let me state this again. If it is one followed by 50 zeros, it's considered impossible. The formation of the simplest life is not 50 zeros, it's 340 million zeros. Now, friends, for us to believe that, that just doesn't seem rational to me. That doesn't seem reasonable. It doesn't seem like a sensible explanation for how life began on this planet. See, people want to throw out terms like rational responders to make us think that that this is reasonable. These are intelligent thinkers, but when you get right down to it, it is not. Carl Sagan, who has been probably the most famous atheist in my lifetime, Carl Sagan estimated that the chance of life evolving on any given single planet like Earth, he said, was one chance and one followed by, he said, two billion zeros. That is a number so large that it would take 6,000 books of 300 pages each just to write the number. Now remember, one with 50 zeros is impossible statistically. We're talking about one with 2 billion zeros. Fred Hoyle, who was a British mathematician and astronomer, he was trying to illustrate this, put this in terms that we can better understand. And so this is how he said it. He said the chances of one protein forming. Now, think about this. He says that there are more than 400 proteins 
in the minimum cell suggested by evolutionists, in a real-world bacteria, there are about 2,000 proteins. The chances of one of them occurring, he said the chances of one protein forming are about the same as if we packed the solar system with blind people. And then we gave all of these blind people Rubik's cubes. We let all of them start working to solve it at the same time. The chances that all of the blind people in the solar system would solve the Rubik's cube at precisely the same second is about the same as one of the proteins forming, much less the 400 the evolutionists speak of or the 2,000 found in a bacteria. Now, friends, the website that I mentioned would have us to believe that it is rational and reasonable and sensible to think that evolution explains everything, but it is everything of that. You know, the evolutionists don't even deny the statistics that we're talking about. In fact, they are the source of some of these statistics. But the idea is they can just throw out gargantuan numbers and say, well, anything can happen given enough time. But I want you to appreciate this. So far, we're just talking about the chance of evolution happening. But I like what one person said. He said, before chance can send atoms whirling around through infinite void, the atoms have to exist. It makes no sense to say that chance can account for the creation of being. Now, what's he saying? He says, we're arguing about the statistical possibility of chance creating life, but he said chance is nothing. Chance doesn't have the ability to create. If there are some cells that are formed, even against gargantuan odds, then something had to be here to begin with, and chance doesn't explain that. Friends, what I'm telling you is this. No matter what they tell you, this is not rational. The law of probability proves that God exists. Secondly, I want to tell you about the law of biogenesis. Now, biogenesis, of course, is the law that states that life comes from life. In the field of biology, it is one of the most widely accepted and commonly used laws of science. Now, for years, people believed in a theory called spontaneous generation. Spontaneous generation is the idea that life comes from non-life. And people had reached this conclusion because they saw living things that seemed to appear from non-living things. For example, if meat was just left out, flies seemed to appear. Worms seemed to appear on the meat. And so they thought, well, non-living gives rise to living. Frogs would pop out of mud. They even had a recipe written that if you put grain in a corner and cover it with rags, that it would make mice. And as a result of these observations, the theory of spontaneous generation was developed. And the theory stated that life came from non-living things. And for many years, people believed this theory, including men like Aristotle and even Sir Isaac Newton. But finally, thanks to the work of men like Louis Pasteur, it was proven this is not the case. Scientists were finally convinced and could prove that 
Life does not come from non-life. And now this is a scientific law accepted by all scientists. And so a child will go to school and he will be taught the scientific law of biogenesis. I remember learning this from my uh, science textbooks when I took biology. Life does not come from non-life. He's taught that in the classroom. And then in the very next breath, they start telling him that in the beginning, there were various gases and lightning discharges and solar radiation, and it interacted with those gases, and poof, life began. Friends, It is contradictory. It's not rational. It is not reasonable. It is not sensible. There was one science website that I was reading, and they recognized the contradiction in this because there is an idea that came out in the, I think, 1920s called Operin's Theory. Operin's Theory was trying to explain how we got life from non-life, and this is what they said. They said, wait a second. You say Operin's theory sounds just like spontaneous generation, and it does. They said, the answer is yes, it is similar, but there are some big differences. The old theory of spontaneous generation suggested that living things came from non-living things rather quickly, within a few weeks. But Operin's hypothesis is that this form of spontaneous generation took much longer and happened over a long, happened long ago with intense energy. And so their theory is this. Yes, spontaneous generation is wrong. We agree to that. But what we're talking about, this took a long time and it happened long ago and there was a lot of energy and, and so this is different. Friends, this is not rational. It violates what we recognize to be laws of science. There is a God. Next, I want to tell you about the law of genetics. The evolutionists would have us to believe that we came from some sort of primordial soup, that out of some primitive protozoa came some unsegmented worm, And after a few eons of time, that unsegmented worm became a fish. And then after millions of years, that fish hopped up on the land and became a reptile. And one day that reptile became a mammal. And then one day the mammal became a man. I want to share with you a a light-hearted poem that I heard. I think it, it summarizes the evolutionary beliefs rather well. If you can remember this, you'll know what they are saying. Once I was a tadpole beginning to begin. And then I became a frog with my tail tucked in. And then I became a monkey swinging in a banana tree. And now I'm a professor with a PhD. Now, if you can remember that, that is basically what they're saying. That is, you allow millions of years and eons of time, and you mix in some chance, and you go from a primitive protozoa to the intelligent mankind that we are today. And so what happens is you've got a mother and she's sitting in a rocking chair and she reads a story to her young child about a frog that turns into a prince and when she's finished she tells her child, now honey that's just a fairy tale. But years later that child will go to school and they get into junior high and senior high and they are in essence told that really happened. That mutations occurred over millions of years and these mutations change creatures for the better. Listen, they change creatures for the better. 
and that by the process of natural selection, these mutations brought more complex beings, finally resulting into the human beings that we are today. What does science say about that? Is it the case that mutations make us better and more complex? Folks, I want to suggest to you the law of uh, genetics of mutations which supposedly have caused evolution, mutations are not good things. Mutations are actually errors in DNA replication. And these errors are almost always harmful. You see up here, I've got three different types or three different kinds of mutations. You've got bad ones, good ones, and neutral ones. Now, neutral mutations have no effect one way or the other. Of the bad and good mutations, 99% of all mutations are harmful. One author wrote this. He said, mutations are known to be random and destructive or even lethal to the individual in which they are expressed. He says, after all, mutations are changes or errors in the DNA. In other words, mutations being random cannot order anything or make anything more complex. Natural selection can only serve to weed out mutations that are harmful, at best maintaining status quo. Ladies and gentlemen, what we know about genetics tells us it is not rational to believe that genetic mutations explain life on this planet. Here's the last one I want to mention. I just call this the law of common sense. I'm talking about good old common horse sense. The Bible calls on us to have this. Listen to this. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, His attributes, that is God's attributes, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. How are God's attributes clearly seen? Listen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Friends, what is that verse telling us? It is telling us that we should be able to understand that there is an intelligent creator. How? Just by looking around. You should be able to look around. You see that something exists Something doesn't come from nothing. We should have common sense enough to understand something doesn't come from nothing. And so matter, no matter how many string theories there are, no matter how many Big Bang theories there are, in the beginning there had to be something, and something doesn't come from nothing. Common sense tells us the theory of evolution does not explain existence. You know, there's an old argument. It's been used many times in defense of the existence of God. It is the design demands a designer argument. I say it's a common sense argument. I want you to imagine that there are two men who are shipwrecked on a deserted island. And to the best of their knowledge, no other human beings have ever set foot on that island before. And so, after a few weeks, they start exploring this island, and they go up to the top of the hill, and as they get to the top, they look down on the other side of the island, and they see a small house there. What conclusion do you think those men are going to draw? Do you think they're going to think to themselves, 
obviously a hurricane blew some trees around and formed that house. How fortunate for us. Of course not. That's ridiculous. These men instantly will look at the design of that house and they will know some other people have been here. Why? Because the house had design and design demands a designer. It came from intentional, intelligent efforts. Now, that matter seems very clear to me, and yet some people will look at the human body with this intricate design, and they say that it happened by accident. Friends, nothing proves design more than does our human bodies. You know, people look at this wheelchair I'm in all the time, and they say, I'm amazed how that thing stands. It can stand on two wheels, and it doesn't fall. It doesn't hold a candle to the human body and the design involved in it. I want you to think about the brain. Think about the, cer- the uh, cerebrum, how it controls thinking. It's the learning center. It makes us able to memorize things. You think about the cerebellum. It maintains our human equilibrium. It gives us the ability to coordinate our muscles. You think about the brain stem. It controls involuntary muscles. It regulates our heartbeat and digestion and our breathing. As a result of the complexity of the human brain, it has been called the greatest computer. And yet, how many scientists would look at our brain and its complexity and they would say, it just evolved? They would never say that about a computer. Carl Sagan, again, the famed evolutionist, before he died, said this. He said, the information contained in the human brain, if it were written out in English, it would fill some 20 million volumes, as many in the world's largest libraries. The equivalent of some 20 million books is inside the heads of every one of us. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is staggering to me how anyone can look at the intricate design of the human body and say, that just happened by accident. And yet, we spend millions of dollars studying outer space, listening for patterns, and if we hear blip, blip, beep, beep, blip, blip, scientists will freak out and say, that's a sign of intelligent life. You know, so powerful is the design-designer argument that some atheists and evolutionists have started to deny the design of the universe. Are we going to deny that the human body has design? Friends, that is not rational. That is not sensible, and it lacks good common sense. Psalm 19 and verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. The word heaven is used in three different senses in the Bible. You've got heaven, which is the sky where the birds fly. You've got heaven, which is the home of God. And then you've got the heavens, which refers to outer space. Which heavens are being considered in Psalm 19.1? The heavens declare the glory of God. I think he's talking about outer space. Why do I think that? Verses 4 through 6 talk about the dwelling place and the circuit of the sun. So what is he telling us when he says the heavens declare the glory of God? I think what he's saying is this. When you look up into the sky and you see the sun and the stars and the moon and all the celestial bodies, we feel so small. We are in awe 
at the majesty of God. Did God create, create all of that for us? In the midst of a universe of 2,500,000 galaxies, more than 25 sextillion stars, there sits a galaxy known as the Milky Way. In the midst of that galaxy, which spans over 100,000 light years in space, there sits the Earth. The Earth is 93 million miles from the sun. If it were 10% closer, it would burn to a crisp. If it were 10% farther away, then it would freeze and life would cease to exist. Friends, is that an accident? Did God create all of that for us? If he did, we are certainly impressed. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. And so, what about these blasphemy videos, as they put they're, they're still on YouTube if you want to look at them, but it's disturbing to watch. Romans 14 and verse 11 says this, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Friends, you know what that means? People who are denying the Lord now, the Lord said the day is coming when they will bow before me, and they will confess my name, and atheist won't be atheist anymore. And so the next verse says, so then, what's that talking about? On the day of judgment, then each shall give an account of himself to God. Now, as for the rationalresponders.com, friends, there's nothing rational about it. Rational means sensible and reasonable. And I want to tell you, it takes more faith to believe in evolution than to believe in the God of heaven. Simply the laws of probability tell us that. Now, as for the man who made the cutesy remark, God could not be reached for comment, it just makes me shudder to think about that comment. But the day is going to come when God is going to comment. And he's not going to appreciate what the comment will be. Ladies and gentlemen, for an honest, logical, intelligent being, the evidence is compelling that there is a God. And that being the case, we had better obey him. This morning, you've got the opportunity to do that. He is a loving God. He is a caring God. He has blessed us in so many ways. The most important, that he sent his son for us, that we can have the hope of eternity in heaven. This morning, the way you become a part of the church so that you can have your sins forgiven, so that you can look forward to heaven when this life is over, is by obeying the gospel. You do that by hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. This morning, if you want to do that, we are ready to assist you. If you're here today and you are a member of the church and you desire the prayers of your brethren on your behalf, if you need to come forward and make a public confession of public sin, we would be honored to go to God and pray for you. This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come as together we stand and sing the invitation song.